Hello and welcome back to Diaries of a Lady Gardener, the podcast about all things planty. From flowers and fruits to succulents and sowing microgreens, we cover a whole host of topics with some of your favourite people across the gardening world. This one's for those who prefer plants to people and think of their seedlings as their children. This episode is sponsored by Mole Valley Farmers who are celebrating the great outdoors this spring. Visit them in stores across the UK or online at moleonline.com between the 1st of March and the 31st of May to make the most of their fabulous offers. You'll find discounts on items like sheds, garden furniture and all of those gardening essentials. So head over to check out their full product range and get your garden summer ready. This week I got to chat to the ladies behind the Wolves Lane Flower Company, an urban flower farm in the heart of London who are doing incredible things including launching a very exciting book entitled How to Grow the Flowers. As an aspiring flower farmer, I found this a super inspiring conversation, so I hope that you will too. Hello ladies, how are you? Hello, nice to see you. Great, yeah, doing well, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, things, the sun is shining and things are happening and the spring is in full swing, so I think it's just such an exciting time of year to be in the garden. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, I feel like summer is actually pretty much with us now. It certainly is in London and obviously when you're growing under glass, the sense of summer arrives much, much faster. But um, yeah, we are at that point now where everything's going crazy crazy and you're beginning to kind of uh lose the battle a little bit against having that sense of control but it's it's always an an exciting moment um but just learning that you have to let go that little bit definitely but if you it really feels like um like a real hopeful hopeful time even when some things aren't necessarily working out you can kind of see the signs of possibility just starting to wake up and ready for a crazy summer (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think if there was ever a time for people to feel inspired to grow their own flowers, they should just, I mean, obviously visiting a flower farm is, is an amazing thing to do, but I mean, they should just look in other people's front gardens. Yes. Friends that have got back gardens or allotments because that everything, everything just is in flower right now. And so much of what we grow is from seed. And I think, I think it can be really empowering to see, um, what what is possible what you know the amount of flowers that you can just grow from seed in quite a thrifty way Mm, absolutely and the seed packets and the pictures on the websites never look you can't capture the beauty of a real life flower so seeing them in person is where there's a lot of things that actually I've seen the pictures online or I've seen seed packets and I've been like oh that probably wouldn't be something I'd grow and then you see it in real life and you're like oh wow that is there's something really special about that and it actually I do want to grow that in real life totally um, and I think the other thing that uh, we've been getting a bit obsessed with in the last couple of weeks, um, particularly being in London, where um, I don't know if Londoners love roses more than the average person or if it's just that they make such a show in um, the little pocket front gardens. But um, this is such a good time to be looking at um, where people are growing roses that you love in their front garden. And um, I mean, You've certainly knocked on people's doors before. I'm easy to find out what they are. Why are you? (laughs) Inevitably, they say, oh, I don't know. I planted it 30 years ago. It's gorgeous, though, isn't it? (laughs) 
but it's like sort of form of window shopping and this is like absolutely the the prime time to be getting out and looking at what other people are growing and visiting gardens yeah looking at those plants in person as you say rather than just on a website where I mean also sometimes I've made terrible mistakes where I've thought that's a really beautiful flower I'm going to buy that and grow it and then it arrives and I realized I ordered alkanet which is like a rampant weed that we have (laughs) everywhere but um uh someone had used a different name for it that sounded really poetic and um in person definitely helps (laughs) the other thing that I was going to say um I was just at Chelsea Flower Show last week and the scent sometimes like a flower looked really pretty but it's the scent that really sells you and it was for me it was the Mary Berry Rose it smells like lemon sherbet and I was blown away and I've not stopped thinking about it since and from a, from the look I probably wouldn't have bought it because it's, it's it's a beautiful rose it's quite a plain traditional white rose but the smell I was like if I had that to smell whenever I was in the garden or, or a cut flower at home it would make me happy every single time <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we I mean the scent we always talk about scent and how important it is to grow things that have scent um and I mean obviously the all the roses that we grow pretty much have scent but at the moment um, well we saw a lot of napita at Chelsea which of course just smells incredible yeah um, when you walk into our glass house right now the first thing you're sort of the first thing you see really is this whole two beds of sweet peas that hit the ceiling and they just engulf the the glass house in scent. It's just incredible. Sounds amazing. Yeah, and obviously that's what um, growing your own flowers um, will always trump buying flowers from the supermarket. There's There's so many reasons why flowers that you buy from a kind of commercial grower that are wrapped up in plastic and put on those supermarket shelves don't smell and that's why they have um often such longevity but anything you're growing in your own garden you can celebrate that that amazing possibility of of having scented stuff that is evocative and brings back childhood memories and all of that stuff I think um it's just especially if you're buying something like a rose what better way of um working out your shortlist than walking around people's um uh, front gardens walking around neighborhoods right now and sticking your nose in all those roses to see which one um you want to grow and it, it's sort of a non-negotiable for us really when it comes to mm, something like a rose definitely yeah I I feel like this is the year that I've really fallen in love with roses each year there's something something slightly different that I'm like obsessed with but this year I think the roses is probably probably the one <laughs> really good year for roses yeah, isn't it they just they seem very impressive this year mm. and then maybe last last year they were quite late, late. yeah so we, we lost about a month of um time with the roses last year and so maybe it's just that they've they've arrived when you want them I don't know but I just feel like everywhere I turn at the moment the roses are just Incredible. insane Agreed. Um, and so let's go right back to the beginning, because obviously you've talked about your London glass houses, but for anyone who doesn't know, tell us how did the Wolves Lane Flower Company begin? So um, I'll, I'll do the beginning bit and then Marianne can do the, the bit where it gets into the sort of more nitty gritty. So we, um, we've been friends since, since college, since university, um, and we um, 
we both did production jobs after university. So I was a producer in fashion and broadcast and Marianne produced theater um, and dance. And, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, like producers really get stuff done and they look at spreadsheets and they manage budgets and they essentially facilitate other people's creative process. And after a decade of doing that, we were quite, I think we were both quite tired and fed up of looking at Excel spreadsheets and sort of uh, living a life that was quite far away from, from nature. We, we'd both been really lucky to grow up in households where the garden was just everything. But we felt, you know, we, we both lived in London flats with postage stamp size gardens and doing these very busy jobs. And, and I think we were, we were quite disenchanted by it after, after 10 years of doing that. And so um, we'd always had this joke of um, a life of soil, which we thought was the funniest thing ever. Um, <laughs> still do um, and um, and yeah we always joked about having um, having some 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 growing business and then miraculously Marianne moved to Wood Green. <laughs> that, that's nearly eight years ago now um, on the first day that I moved to the flat I'm in now um, me and my husband walked around the corner and found a five minute walk from the house this what I now know is a three and a half acre site that much of it is covered in these enormous um, nursery style glass houses. Um, and that is pretty unusual to find in relative central London. We wandered around and much of that space felt a little bit um, neglected and unloved. And there were sort of uh, grow bags of tomatoes really struggling to thrive and um abandoned pelagoniums all kind of like you know um gnarly and um and straggly and but the space was in, was really evocative and and inspiring despite this kind of incredibly dusty disheveled look um and i said camilla and i then um met up and camilla was trying to work out what her next steps were going to be she left her job um had enough wanted to do something totally new and was kind of being bold and just um just taking the plunge i said well just let's go and look at this space near where i live i feel like there's something to be done there and we ended up going before work one day so we turned up at this at this yeah network of glass houses in our kind of work gear and they must have thought, who are these? Who are these people coming in? Are they inspectors or something? Um, and then it was just a real twist of fate that we found out through. Um, I found some PDF document buried deep on Haringey Council's website saying they were looking for people to um, take take on the running of it. And we then put together a whole. Um, business plan to take over the whole glass house um, site which would have been I mean it would have been just an unspeakable amount of work to to run that whole thing we had these huge ideas um obviously we had the production experience but whilst we we're both keen gardeners we're not um formally trained gardeners we've not done um you know a qualification so much of what we were planning was um was a was a bit insane really um Luckily for us, we didn't get the whole site, but we did um, build quite a good relationship with the lease, the current leaseholders who are Organic Lee, who are veg growers. They're based in um, further east in London, and they gave us one glass house and some external growing space um, to 
to start growing in. We got those keys after, you know, that whole experience where there was there were many um, kind of soap opera style twists and turns to get to this point. But we got the keys in April 2017, which is a really tough time to think, right, I'm going to start trying to grow cut flowers because you've missed that first moment of um, possibility with seed zone with February and uh, the point where you can get hardy annuals going so it was a real standing start um, but luckily there's two of us so um, whereas I think I might have got completely overwhelmed and started feeling uh, just the whole thing felt too mammoth the task Camilla was like right let's look around see what's already growing what can we cut let's go to some local pubs and shops and see if they want to buy a bucket of flowers from us um, and we just started um, we did sow stuff in that first year we sowed way too many cornflowers um, really um, really good as a morale booster to have a lot of cornflowers excellent not as any person that is trying to grow flowers to to cut um, not your prime crop they are a real pain to um, untangle and to cut, but they they kept us going in that first year. And yeah, we, and they made us think, oh, we can grow flowers. This yeah, is great. Look how many flowers we've got. And that is absolutely the key when you start this. Find something and don't try and grow everything, but grow a couple of things that you can grow well. And, and that are like prolific flowers. Like, yeah. You know, cornflower, calendula. Yeah, just stuff that you're like, oh, the sense of abundance is, you know, surprising and gives you... Like as Marianne said, a morale boost and confidence. Because if you grow things that you know, you grow. So you try growing something like Bupleurum, you'll be crying for ten years. Oh yeah, so. I'm still upset about that. So yeah, that's pretty much how we got to where we are, and it's it's now been five years. Yeah, it's been five full years, but four four full seasons, and it really feels a world away from when we started in April 2017 um, and we were still doing our we were still working in that first year so it was it was sort of bonkers but this was pre-children for us so we would we would work Monday to Thursday and then Friday to Sunday we would go to the glass house and you know how exciting to get those keys but what we were faced with was a kind of barren wasteland of empty <laughs> like desert um, there was sort of uh, sh- uh, black mypex over all of the beds. They weren't beds. They were just where the staging had been, either still was or needed to be removed. There were heating pipes down the side. So all the glass houses used to be heated, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, must have cost the council eye-watering amount of money. So we don't have any, um, you know, artificial heat or anything. We grow completely with the seasons um, and a dictate, you know, allow... the the temperature to dictate how our growing season goes for us um so it was a huge amount of work to build an ecosystem in there by getting um the soil life going to bring in a load of compost um, just to build those beds like marianne marianne's dad um and husband and a friend of marianne's husband built all of our beds i mean we and a really lovely group of like friends and family shoveled like every wheelbarrow of compost into that glass house it wasn't you know it wasn't a viable growing space so it's you know we had to do it in stages because we couldn't afford to do it all in one go but we yeah I mean we've really transformed that space into a viable growing space now what an amazing process as well to go from that kind of like barren 
overwhelming space to transform it into the amazing growing space that it is today that produces so much it's really important um, it's nice of you to say that and it's important for us I think sometimes to take a moment to remember that and to think back I can remember the day that the pipes got um, cut out with an um, angle grinder and you know there was just nothing and now um, going in and I because I'm not going in every day at the moment I'm, I'm on mat leave I'm only going in periodically so in a way I do have that real kind of wow moment of seeing just how abundant and um and just how much life is in there you know you've got so many bees and pollinators buzzing around and there is life in the soil and yes there are still things that go wrong and things where um a crop is you know something unexpected happens and and something fails but we've learned so much from these um whole catalogue of successes and failures over the last five years and I think now when something does you know does go wrong we try not to take it as personally because mm. we've been here many times before um so yeah it's really important I think growing is a process and it's it's you're never going to get to the point where you're like we are now growing the perfect flower farm or the perfect garden and the process is really part of that obviously if you're trying to do it as a business it needs to get to a point where it feels sustainable um from from all from all elements but um yes you're never perfection is 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 a ridiculous thing to strive for when you're dealing with plants and growing in a with an organic approach absolutely and i think that that's half the fun of gardening is like sometimes things don't work out but you learn from it and if it if it had worked out that first year you wouldn't have learned what you learned about how they need to grow or the kind of thing and quite a lot of the time it's just nature like last year with the tomato blight and a lot of the things that happened in the last couple of years were completely out of our control where it was absolutely scorchingly hot and you couldn't water everything enough and then it wasn't warm enough and nothing would ripen and the flowers bloomed super late like there is no, nothing that you can do to control it and I think you have to accept that some aspects of it are completely out of your hands and it's up to nature to do some bits and then sometimes you'll find that you a seed that's been kind of self-seeded will grow a hundred times better than the little seed that you've spent months and months caring for and you're like why did I even bother nature can do it by itself yeah of course I mean we're total control freaks so we do relatively little um direct sowing but I mean there's there's stuff at the moment just popping up in the glass house um and, and our saved seed always germinates. our saved seed germinates amazingly but yeah sometimes you look in our what we call the prop house where we propagate everything where, where we sow our seeds and we think god all this effort so <laughs> mm. <laughs> just let, let let it do it, it, it its own job but yeah i think i think perfection isn't interesting to us mm-hmm. uh, gardening like you said is a process it's about learning and i think also because of the kind of florists that we that we supply to and the kind of floristry that Marianne and I, um, you know, practice. Um, the, the flower market exists where, where they, you know, import all these straight stem flowers. And there's definitely a market for those flowers. There are definitely florists that want to work with those kind of flowers. And we personally don't. And none of the florists that buy from us want, really want to work with a lot of those blooms. And that's why they come to us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we could grow so many things that, that, just would never be able to get sold at the flower market because they don't travel well, you know, because, you know, there's not, it's not, it's not viable for the market to sell them. So there's, we can grow more interesting varieties, but also 
we have flexibility in in what we can use in our floristry and what we can supply to other florists and sometimes you know it is like you know a stem that's got a bit of a kink in it because people want movement they want they want yeah. something that looks dynamic and that looks alive exactly mm. and that you know not to discredit the flower market but that isn't always those aren't always the stems that you can find there Mm-hmm. and you know what I really learned that with tulips this year and actually the straight stem tulips are never quite they don't look the same in an arrangement you want the ones with kind of a bend and they kind of move throughout the day and it's quite dynamic rather than being like a really tightly packed posy that's a perfect sphere and is very much like what you'd find on a bridal catwalk it's really <laughs> hard to arrange with a load of really straight stems yeah I mean at least it is for us if, if everything is you know like you know really standing up to attention it's just for us it's quite difficult um but for yeah for our well admittedly for our style of floristry mm-hmm. but I think that that's what people love to hear as well it's not about absolute perfection it's about kind of working with nature and in harmony with as opposed to being disappointed that you've not managed to grow a perfectly straight perfectly round flower like the quite part of the beauty comes in the imperfections of where things have grown in a slightly unusual way and different colorings and things like that it's a motto for life as well you know if you if you learn to stop trying to control everything I think ultimately it it makes you a happier person um we began this process of of you know starting this business with our producer mindset and um you know you just get hit around the head hundreds of times with that it's just you know nature isn't going to play ball and you get more sanguine you get more stoic and um I think I'm not saying that we're completely zen about all of those things when you've got um you know you're trying to run a business it's not just a kind of beautiful uh, experiment day to day we need it to work but mm-hmm. when it doesn't work you know that there's always another answer and I think that flexibility with uh the, the flowers we grow as well so we never plan an event with this is absolutely the the flowers that we're going to use we're not going to 100 percent um expect that I don't know um we're going to have a multitude of hot chocolate roses to put through all the bridal work because um it just might we the timing just might be off and they might have all flowered beautifully and, and gone over the week before so I think that sense of um relinquishing control and working mm-hmm. what is looking beautiful in that that week um when you need the flowers is is a much more satisfying way of working but it's a massive shift for people to um learn to have that confidence that um without sounding incredibly wishy-washy like nature will provide you will have something beautiful it just might not have been what was in that Pinterest board that um, yes we created nine months ago yeah a hundred percent and that's part of the exciting thing as well because you see it growing and you don't know what it's going to turn out like and then you get to the bouquet and you might like for my sister's wedding I'm growing well trying to grow all of her flowers and we've got inspiration for the things that we love but you have to accept <coughs> that um, our flowers aren't going to be exactly like the ones in that picture. And you can try and recreate something of a similar style, but actually it's personal to you and every bouquet is completely individualised rather than being a mass-produced kind of yeah, entity. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's also like it's a snapshot of the season. Like the thing that 
the, 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 the amazing thing that the brides get from, from us and from all of the other uh, flower farmers in, in the UK is that when they get married and, you know, if, if they embrace seasonality, they get a snapshot of the season, which is totally unique. Yeah. You know, the, that was what the season was looking like the week that they got married, which mm-hmm. is, you know, which, which will then evolve and change the week and, after. And it will never be the same again, you know, from year on year. So that is that year that is frozen in time and all those photographs mm-hmm. in your memory, that was that that moment in the cutting garden which we think is something really exciting that's magical I, I think um you know to us that's much more interesting than saying this this is exactly what I want these are the colors and these are the varieties because I think people probably end up missing out on a lot of really incredibly beautiful flower stock definitely and I think as well because a lot of the traditional floristry and wedding bouquets that you see don't necessarily include seasonal flowers and people don't even know about a lot of the flowers that you can get from the kind of locally grown um, flower farms who grow things that are completely unusual that you would have never seen in a supermarket or even potentially in the like a lot of the florists who import their flowers it's quite traditional safe flowers I guess rather than kind of things that like you say they don't travel super well or um, they just wouldn't be possible to get into those kind of places but they're completely there and I think it's just so exciting to see it kind of unfold in your own in your own way and it's very personal so I think if you if you have a go at growing anything from seeds then then that starts to make more sense you know yeah. when you start trialing that yourself and you see how a flower behaves and also the how long it takes you know if we start sowing something in September we're not cutting it till May, for example. Um, and so you appreciate that stem so much because you've, yeah. you've lived its life cycle in a totally different way than just casually turning up somewhere and just ordering a wrap of something. Um, I think um, changing how consumers interact with flowers and and understand how flowers work is is something that is a huge but really exciting opportunity for flower farmers. Um, and I think is that you know the the tide is beginning to shift where people are feeling more confident about giving people that relinquishing more control um but it's a it's been decades of a different way of consuming and that's you know goes for food and for flowers and I hope that the sort of work that we do can start to give people an alternative to that but yeah it's it there's years of years to undo there Absolutely. And this is a perfect segue into your very exciting announcement of the last few weeks, your new book. Tell us yeah. all about it. So the book is called How to Grow the Flowers um, and it's published by Pavilion and it's out um, on the 15th of September of this year. Um, and it's the, the title comes, um, it, it's a little nod to our floral hero, m- many florists um, and flower farmers floral hero, um, Constance Spry, who was um, this incredible trailblazer who just embraced seasonality um, and spoke about a lot of the things that are really um, fundamental to our ethos about growing and enjoying flowers, which is really you know, using and working with what's there um, and mm-hmm. what's in season um, and, you know, working with um, the unexpected, uh, you know, uh, vaulted veg, um, you know, and, and raising sort of, the hedgerows. Yeah, yeah. raising yeah. the hedgerows and, and sort of dismantling this idea of, of hierarchy um, amongst mm-hmm. flowers that, you know, only like the, the roses and the peonies, 
you know, in the dahlias are, you know, that those are the only flowers that we should be using that actually um, there's just so much variety and beauty out there if we all looked. Yes, 100%. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was where the title came from. We, we, when we were approached by the publishers to, um, to think about writing a book, we felt a very acutely aware that there are already um, countless wonderful books about flower growing that fill our bookshelves. Um, and when we, when we looked at this Constance Spry book, How to Do the Flowers, which is um, a book she wrote in the 50s, we realised so much of what she was saying resonated so strongly with us um her book is about designing with flowers whereas our book um, primarily focuses on on growing we have a a project at the end of each um season that um that gives people a kind of a big floral inspiration moment so there absolutely is stuff within that book about uh within our book about um the design aspects uh but uh we take you through the season so we begin with autumn um and then work all the way through to summer um and we try to find a structure that made sense um for someone that perhaps is is starting at the beginning and isn't isn't really sure how to um think about their year when it comes to growing so that each chapter is split between soil uh seed tend and harvest um soil is something we're obsessed with we're constantly trying to learn about we think healthy soil will mean healthy plants and it's insane that um people you know everyone including us know so little about soil it's not something which is celebrated and understood and unpacked in a way that is exciting i think at school um i will speak for myself camilla probably worked a bit harder than me in science i used to do my expressive arts homework um <laughs> in the science lesson but I was just totally turned off science at school and now having a practical applied reason to understand it I'm I'm just such an anorak when it comes to it and I think that's something that we've tried to convey through the book um you know the wonders of looking after your soil and what that does for the environment and for the the flowers um that you grow uh seed all covers everything that includes you know tubers and propagating um tend is seasonal jobs um that need to be done in that month and then harvest is where we really celebrate the abundance of some of the things we're cutting we worked with a really fantastic photographer didn't we oh yeah aloha bonsashore who um our publishers introduced us to just understood us um the vibe of wolves lane um immediately you know wolves lane for anyone that knows it it's not it's not this beautiful rambling you know rural site it's it you know it's it runs you know between green lanes um and, and walls lane you know these are two quite trafficy roads um in london um and as marianne said before you know it's quite you know it was quite a disheveled unloved site and part of that site has been like really lovingly restored and a lot of a lot of the disheveled sort of mess is, is still there because it's a working horticultural site and she just found the beauty you know the flowers obviously are beautiful and the abundance of flowers is really striking but she she just found the beauty everywhere the beauty in the cracks you know everything that makes our site really wonderful um and we were very lucky to work with her and have her document you know nearly a whole season of wool's lane That's i think amazing. it's really 
I think it's really important as well that as urban growers, yes, we do have a 40 metre glass house, which is, um, is diff you know, that's not something the majority of people have. But we are used to growing in a very small amount of space. And, and I think the book tries to inspire people to think, even if you've only got um, one metre square or you've got um, two window boxes outside your um, bedroom window or, or whatever it is, a pot, there is something you can grow and you can harvest and bring it into your home and enjoy it, feel connected with nature and have a sense of being part of that cycle. You know, that nature isn't something we go out and visit. It's not something that's a car ride away, but it is here on our doorsteps outside our windows and we can we can have a relationship with with it and I think in some ways we feel like growing flowers is is a way to really inspire people to want to save the world you know you when you're connected with beauty then you want to hold on to it and you you've got a reason to um yeah to preserve this planet that's in a really fragile state so um, I don't think I feel like I'm overstating it to say that if you start growing flowers, maybe that's going to make all of us save the planet. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, you know, I really resonated with what you said about switching off in science. I just, I feel like I didn't get it and I didn't really want to get it. I wasn't really super passionate about it. I was much more into the kind of like arty, creative subjects. Um, but when I did my RHS level two and learned about soil, I was like oh my god this is so cool how did I not know that photosynthesis worked like that and obviously we learned it and we did exams in it but because you didn't really connect with it and what was that what it was actually doing it's very much like learn the process for the exam as opposed to learn why this is important because it's actually the whole basis of what life is kind of grown upon and uh it changed my entire perspective on everything and like when you're sifting through the soil and you find bits of plastic and I dug out a it was obviously like what they tried to use as a pond and it was a fragmented plastic toy box and as you try to pull it out the soil it's fragmenting and cracking and going everywhere and it's so difficult to get it out and it just makes you really appreciate actually like we we do need to do more to kind of look after our planet and the joy that it can bring from like seeing something improve like even the soil structure when you're adding the fresh organic matter and suddenly the plants are coming to coming alive and it's easier to pull the weeds out and things you can really see the kind of the, the things that are happening as you're kind of going through your own journey and I just think like you say it really deepens that connection between you and the planet rather than it just being a case of you buy the things that are on the shelves in the supermarkets and there is no connection from how that food has got to that point it's just you've bought it in the plastic packaging you've taken it home and you might appreciate it for five minutes but when you grow things from seed you have a whole other kind of perspective on like a carrot that's taken you 10 months or a flower that's been growing for the last six months just for one one bloom um the tulips especially <laughs> Yeah, you're much less likely to call up a florist and say, um, hi, I'm doing a wedding and I need 500 delphin delphiniums from you. If you grow a delphinium and realise yeah. <laughs> how easily um, the slugs devour it and, you know, how precious that flower is when you, um, you know, maybe someone will always need that many delphiniums for an event. But I think learning the value of it through that process, um, it's, it's incomparable, really. 
definitely and there's no monetary value you can really put on it I know that sometimes people say that kind of locally grown flowers are really expensive but actually if you understand the what what those locally grown sustainably grown flowers are doing versus what the imported flowers are doing you you couldn't put you couldn't put a value on it and actually it's probably still dead cheap considering the love and care and time and hours and hours and hours of work that has gone into creating that bouquet or that even individual bloom yeah for sure I think also um one way of looking at it is is that locally grown sort of flowers with especially grown with an organic approach are expensive I think I think the other way of looking at it is is to say that actually imported flowers are incredibly inexpensive mm. and they don't really um they don't really show the true cost of what growing those flowers really costs um you know the communities that grow them um what it costs the environment there's there's a deficit there mm -hmm. um you know, what we always call like this voracious capitalist system of like zipping flowers around the world ending um, them up in a supermarket yeah as a lost leader so yeah that they're grown that they're sold at a at a loss in order to get people in to then take advantage of all those other um tasty mm. buy one get one free deals so you're not that isn't the true cost of that stem it's it's being used as a way to make you spend money elsewhere so um and that's again that's decades of uh uh something that needs to be unraveled basically that that we've become far too used to definitely and I think inspiring people to at least try growing their own just one time even if you only grow one flower one time it's just it's such an educational enlightening process altogether and something that I try and encourage everyone to do like at, we've got a work garden and I'm always trying to drag people out into the work garden to plant things and then they go what do you mean we're planting this potato and I'm like well this is going to make other potatoes and they're like what you're making no sense and then they get they kind of spark little bits of interest where they learn something that they didn't know that's kind of blown their mind a little bit and then everyone yeah. took sunflower seeds home and have started growing sunflowers and then some people have moved them to veg boxes and things like that so you just need that little I think people think that it's really inaccessible it's really expensive it's really hard to grow your own and actually it really isn't if you just have like a little helping hand along the way with things like your book the Instagram community like there's so many resources out there to help you get started. Yeah and that's why we always really push the point that we're not formally trained you know Marianne probably I think you did have experience of growing flowers from seed before we started Walls Lane I didn't I mean I had a garden before we started Walls Lane but I grew a lot of roses so you know it, it, it was a different kind of thing but I had no experience of growing from seed and now you know we, we always just say to people like just try it yeah. Um, and I dismantle this idea that there's a right way and a wrong way because if you like we said before if you do it the wrong way you'll you'll learn something and you'll mm -hmm. do it better next time or you might actually just make another mistake and three or four goes but then yeah, but then when you nail it it's just the sense of achievement and joy is just overwhelming like you know we always we really do try to celebrate the small wins at all saying because if not you're just it's just relentless and we've just you know the last, last two weeks we just dug out um you know the last of the ranunculus corns like we have really nailed growing ranunculus after i'd say three seasons of such horrific failure like <laughs> such an expensive crop to grow when yeah. you do it wrong um, and now we've learned and we've learned what works for ranunculus on our site and that took three seasons of really messing it up 
and seeing all these incredible ranunculus on other people's Instagrams and just really crying into the flower beds. <laughs> <laughs> but now we've learned, and so now we can do it, and and we we think that's a that's like a really brilliant process to go through. Definitely, I kudos to you for getting to the success. I'm over the moon for you. I've done two seasons and I have not yet cracked yeah, how to grow the ranunculus. Yeah, you will get there. But I think it's something else that we try and um, convey in the book in a way that hopefully is accessible and digestible is um, being ahead of the season and understanding what needs what jobs need to be done when to set you up for success. Mm-hmm. So. One thing that um, I think garden centres uh, encourage us to do is to is to not really think about gardening until um, it's around about the Easter weekend where everyone suddenly goes, oh, my God, I haven't done anything in my garden. Uh, right. I need some colour. And then they go to the garden centre and spend hundreds of pounds sometimes on these plants that are looking flowery and looking abundant. And they take them home to their gardens, put them in spaces where perhaps they're not necessarily designed for that particular kind of plant or they've done nothing to work on their soil so they're kind of trying to dig them into this compacted heavy clay soil or something where there's there's no organic matter there those plants fail um that person feels like I'm terrible at gardening um I've not got any green green fingers in my body at all and that magic essence that's in some of our bones exactly um none of that alchemy is within me and I've not got any time anyway so I'm just gonna um cover it in decking or I'm going to um I I need parking or I'm gonna pay someone a huge amount of money to come and do this for me and actually um that's a huge it's setting us up for failure or it's setting us up to go well I have to go back to the garden centre and spend more money um some of those plants sometimes we don't know how those plants are always um uh looked after and cultivated by before they get to those um shelves in the garden centre you know they might have been treated in pesticides you're bringing that into your garden if you grow from seed um you know exactly how that that plant has been um, looked after and um, cultivated Uh, so I think just stepping away from um, thinking you need something in that moment but putting the work in the the months before which is why we begin the book in autumn Mm -hmm. because we think from um, growing a cut cut flowers particularly there's loads of things that behave um, uh, perform their best when you you do an autumn sowing so you know something like an annual we talk a lot about annuals in the book as well because I think when you don't have a garden you know you're going to be hanging on to for years and years and years it's something you can inject a lot of colour in and uh, you're not making a huge amount of investment so yeah starting things off like an or layer or larks fir um, at that moment in in September and uh, and then you've got your injection of colour and flower and froth at that yes you're not going to get this through Easter weekend granted but you put the work in the point is you put the work in um in the autumn and then by the time the spring comes you're rewarded um and it's a different way of gardening it's not about instant results it's about following the season uh and responding to that season and, and what needs to be done what needs to be done when really if that makes sense it's almost like doing something that future you is going to really appreciate like uh, for me the 
the autumn and winter is actually the biggest busiest time on the plot because it's you're putting in all of the work for the year to come and it's kind of like you say with sowing seeds and I actually found last year was the first year I'd ever autumn sown and I found I was so much lighter and brighter throughout the whole winter because although they were growing really really slowly you still had that signs of life and you could kind of envision where they were going to be kind of spring summer next year and it really kind of keeps you ticking over in the colder months and then like you say you get to the spring and you're like right I'm ready rather yeah. than being like oh it's spring must rush to get everything in and a lot of the plants in the garden centers you buy them in flower because they're in flower and they look pretty but actually they're probably past their best to be planted out because they've they've already flowered yeah. for stone so yeah I mean we are busiest time of the year is autumn like autumn is relentless for us because we're, we're cutting the end of the current season but we're prepping for the season to come and we're doing seeds and we're doing um bulbs yeah. and corms and you know, it, you know everything. towards the end it gets pretty cold and miserable yeah. and you get pretty mardy um and and that's what and yeah like Marianne said like you know we we wanted to really set people up for success by writing this book and that's why um that's why we started it in the autumn because to to, to think that you can get everything done in the spring and start everything off in the spring you're kind of going to be waiting around a lot thinking where are all my flowers <laughs> yeah definitely and then you've only got the summer window because a lot of people don't think to sow kind of like successionally or so later in the year if you're if you're not in the flower growing kind of sphere you wouldn't yeah. necessarily know that there's things that you can continue to keep the color going throughout the year it's very much kind of like like you say easter weekend to the when the kids go back to school is when you expect yeah. to see color in the garden and a lot of people just don't expect it the rest so they don't bother yeah and you know in reality our our season runs from the end of March um until sort of the beginning of beginning of November I mean admittedly like we're growing in London which is you know pretty warm mm-hmm. um but you know we we my, I got married um you know a few years ago um the, fir- the first week in November and then we were still cutting dahlias and roses um and that's you know in a in a way that's amazing in another way it's it, it it's a result of you know climate change um but but you know, if you grow um, in in the south of England, your your season can be pretty long. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm down in Devon, and we had I don't think the frost even hit up until maybe December this year. There was still so much blooming right up until December, and it, like you say, it was a bit scary because you're thinking it shouldn't really be like this. Um, yeah. The seasons aren't quite how they used to be, but on another level, I was quite glad to see some flowers still at the end of the year when it was quite drab and rainy. <laughs> yeah yeah but there's nothing like a flower to make you start being aware of the season and aware mm. of season fluctuation to, to appreciate when it rains and not kind of be muttering about it under your breath and you know I, I, so many people I know if it it rains in London moan about it and I think it hasn't rained for like three no. weeks <laughs> one afternoon of rain come on it's fine we need it we need more but I think yeah, if you're growing plants, then you stop having that attitude because you're not seeing the outside world as a kind of uh, like a external landscape that you just kind of scurry out into to do your shopping or go to work. Um, it's something that you've got vested interest in. So um, I think it makes a massive difference. And I think everyone needs food, but we also need beauty. And that's what what the flowers bring for us and you also don't need to choose there's so many flowers that are edible and have Mm -hmm. medicinal use or um 
uh, herbal use that that can also be brilliant cut flowers so you don't blur we, we we're really excited in the ways that you can blur the line between what is an edible crop and what is a floral crop absolutely and actually my um hampton court show allotment very much because i this year i very much dedicated the allotment to flowers and then i found out that i had been accepted for the show and was like oh no i had decided not to grow as much veg this year i was only going to grow like a really small amount um so my a lot of my design was kind of incorporating the edible flowers and the herbs into the design to kind of bring like a vegetable plot doesn't have to just be a very utilitarian I'm growing vegetables to feed my family you can make it really beautiful and nostalgians there's like 101 different things you can do with them from making pesto to the poor man's capers the flowers and salads borage there's there's so many different edible flowers and I'm really excited to kind of hopefully bring that to life in the little allotment area and kind of show people that actually you could there's loads of them that you could use for cut flowers and that you could put in your house as well there's loads of it that you could eat the whole thing's edible so it's kind of it works on both levels but I just think it's so exciting and a lot of people don't really know anything about edible flowers and it's just kind of hopefully if I inspire one person to try growing their own edible flowers from it it will be a job well done in my eyes sure you're going to achieve more than that yeah um yeah and it makes me think about cover crops as well and some of the beautiful flowers you can get from a cover crop Mm. like phacelia or clover at the moment it just looks amazing we kind of don't even we we, we've covered one of our dahlia beds because we're only just planting the dahlias out now um the new season dahlias and we almost don't want to pull up the phacelia but i mean obviously we will but it's just so beautiful and it's buzzing with and it's just you know I mean it'll it'll be great in the compost heap but but right now it's looking amazing and okay you might not get a whole week of vase life from a from cutting some phacelia but that's okay you know you might three days and then you can put those in your compost heap and and start again and I think why do we expect a flower to last two weeks in a vase like it doesn't make sense and it's It's not not natural (laughs) and I think we have to get away from thinking that we need acres of of space to have that ability to um you know just grow something and and bring it into our our homes you can you can grow a whole variety with a really small amount of space and then see how those things behave and experiment and um yes get into that sense of celebrating that the ephemeralness of flowers uh, or ephemerality I don't know what 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 version of that word I meant to say but um that's the joy of it that's the, the fleeting moment of how long a sweet pea lasts is something to celebrate rather than trying to find one that's that's gonna survive out of water because why should it mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the other thing that brings us a lot of joy at the moment um you know especially talking to you as a woman who gardens is that it just feels like such a moment right now for women in horticulture a hundred percent our like tiny like floral community like we're you know obviously we we, we celebrate the fact that you know we, we, we've written this book but we also celebrate the fact that there's so many of our you know our, our flower friends and colleagues have also written really amazing books and you know amazing books on horticulture that are coming out this year like Sal Robertson um, who's just the most incredible flower grower based in Norfolk um, you know Millie Proust um, another friend of ours from Flowers on the Farm Marianne Slater um, Claire Ratnan's about to, to, to bring out a book um, 
you know, it's, it's a real moment for, for, for flowers and, and women growers. And it, it feels like, you know, we're, we're so happy to be part of that movement that is sort of hopefully inspiring other women to, to try growing as well. It did 100%. feel, a, it felt a little bit um, like the tide was turning a bit at Chelsea this year as well. I don't know what you felt, but there's no secret that the horticultural world has been very male dominated, very middle class, very white for you know as long as uh, I can remember and mm -hmm. I think part of that sense as Camilla says of a of a, of a sea change is really exciting Definitely. so there's, there's much exciting choice out there now I think for people wanting to gain experience from um from other growers yeah and I think that something that has come up a lot in conversation for me is people didn't really know that careers in horticulture were that but like careers in horticulture that weren't like working ridiculous hours plowing potatoes from a field were a thing and it definitely wasn't a thing the done thing for women especially so I think it's kind of it's almost like opening the door to a whole world of possibility where people I mean I had no idea that any of the jobs of being a flower farmer or anything like that was kind of an option when I was younger I fell into marketing and then was quite, like you say living a bit of a spreadsheety life <laughs> Um, and then you discover something and you're like, oh, wow, there's really something in this. And it's actually quite meaningful, really meaningful and gives you a lot of joy and kind of sparks and excitement. And I just think the more people like every time I have a conversation, some someone says something that really sparks me and then something will spark them. And it's kind of a bit of a, a domino trail of inspiring people across the country to actually give give things a go and not be too afraid to try it. And I think it's it's those people that are doing amazing things that you see it and you think oh I imagine I could do that and you really give yeah. people that sense of like possibility and if, you just have to like take a leap of faith sometimes and throw yourself into something even if that is just sowing 10 seeds in a little pot on your balcony that's the start of the journey yeah and really we say it in the book if we can do it anyone can do it we we didn't know what we were doing and we're now growing hundreds and cutting hundreds of stems um possibly thousands of stems a week and the horticultural world doesn't need to be an intimidating place where there's right answers and something else that um kind of tickled us with the title is there is you know we we've called it how to grow the flowers but there is no one way to grow the flowers um it depends so much on all those unique conditions you have in your plot how much time you've got um what your uh, whether you're someone that's a control freak or whether you want to direct sow and, um, and and just see what happens by putting some some uh, seeds in the in the ground in April there, there's no for some people they swear by that and for us we we put everything in modules and we start most things off in in that autumn or February uh, seed sowing moment but what works for us won't work for someone else and we try and explore those other options and give other options within the book so it's not creating a strict template as to how things should be done because that doesn't work for us in growing it doesn't work for us in, in forestry there should be room for people to find their own way but hopefully we provide enough of a framework to give people the confidence to to just give it a go absolutely oh i cannot wait to see the finished copy of this book with all the beautiful photos 
yeah the photos really make it I think oh yeah definitely yeah the photos are everything yeah <laughs> I mean I'm sure that the content is also absolutely fantastic I'll definitely be getting a copy and I'll be following it religiously oh, thank you oh, thank you well it has been such a pleasure to chat to you today um before we go can you just let everyone know where they can find you for more information where they can pre-order the book find all your, your lovely adventures yeah we will what we'll do um is we will send you the pre-order link um and um, we will um share with you all the details so that when you um release this episode um it's very clear um what the book's called the flowers um and when and where they can get it from brilliant and say september the 15th is when it's out Perfect. We'll make a note in the diary. We'll be talking all about it on September the 15th. Thank you, Sharon. Thanks so much, Shannon. Yeah. And we'll Thank look forward to seeing you at Hampton Court. Yes. What a wonderful woman. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of How to Grow the Flowers, which is available to pre-order now and comes out on the September the 15th, 2022. So make sure you secure yourself a copy and follow along with their adventures on Instagram. If you've loved listening, please do leave a review and let me know on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener. I love to hear from you with all your questions, suggestions and your own gardening stories. That's all from me this season and thank you so much to every single person who has listened to the podcast, shared the podcast been a guest on the podcast it's been a really amazing season and as I record this it's a year since I first sort of made the decision to share it with everyone so thank you to everyone who has made this possible and keep your eyes peeled to see whether there will be a season four in the meantime happy growing <laughs>